Wow, what a, what a great song for this series. Thank you, Jesse. <clears throat> you know, there's so many movies out nowadays that very few penetrate the consciousness of virtually everybody in a room this size. But I think I can name one and show a picture on the screen, and immediately everybody's going to know the movie. Let's see if I'm right. The movie, of course, is... Wizard of Oz, exactly. It's one of the most viewed, one of the most popular movies in American history. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a wonderful movie. But I think there's a deeper reason for that. You see, the storyline of The Wizard of Oz, I think, resonates with the cultural narrative that America has adopted. And you all know the story Dorothy's living in Kansas, gets blown into this strange land by a tornado where she meets these characters, and they all need something. So they go to the Wizard of Oz, and of course, we now know that the Wizard of Oz was just a con man, and through bluff and bluster and special effects, he scares them, and they're asking him to give them what they need, and he can't do it, so he sends them on this quest that he's sure they can't accomplish, go steal the broom of the Wicked Witch. And through miraculous circumstances against all odds, they defeat the Wicked Witch, they get her broom, and they go back. And that's when the wizard is exposed as the con man that he really is. But that's when the story takes a twist. Because at that point, he says, oh, you know what? Sorry, it's a microphone. He says, all along you had all those things you need inside of you. So, lion, you had courage. Tin man, you had a heart. Scarecrow, you had a brain. And that resonates with a cultural narrative because we believe, most Americans, that we're sent off all by ourselves to make it in this cold, cruel, difficult world in this earthly journey But Americans believe that in those moments of difficulty, if you'll just reach down deep enough into the awesomeness that is you, you will find everything you need to defeat those obstacles. And I want to suggest to you that that's a lie. And it's, in some cases, a painful lie. Because what does that say to someone who has an incurable, debilitating disease? What does that say to someone in a difficult marriage who's dealing with a difficult spouse, but they're trying to make it work because they believe that's the right thing to do and for the sake of the kids. And and I think there's two mistakes we can make as Christians when we meet these difficult circumstances. The first mistake is to think we're like the Wizard of Oz and been sent off alone to do this on our own. We try our hardest just just to accomplish it in our own power. The second mistake we can make is just to quit and give up. Because our faith says that we have been given a helper, that we're not alone on this journey. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. And and I long so deeply to understand more about the Holy Spirit and And I long for that for my friends here. And and I'm so aware at this moment that to do that, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you, Father. So, Lord, would, would you speak and get me out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire today? 
And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are in the fourth week of our series called Creed. But I want, I think it's really important that I remind everyone that we remember why we're doing this. You see, any complex endeavor that you undertake, all the people who are good at those things always go back to basics. They go back to fundamentals. So football season's about to start. Sometimes offenses and defenses get very complex. Good coaches always bring their players back to the fundamentals of blocking and tackling. Doesn't matter what endeavor you are trying to be good at, there are certain foundational, fundamental truths that everyone goes back to, and that's the same way it is with our faith. As most of you know, this book that we call the Bible is pretty lengthy, and there's a lot of complex truths in here. And so, by church tradition, we believe that the apostles got together in the first century AD and decided to help believers that were to come. Because a lot of people didn't have Bibles in those days. There was no printing press. A lot of people couldn't read. And so they came up with what we call the Apostles' Creed. And that creed has been recited. That creed has been memorized. It's been studied and preached upon for 2,000 years. And that creed has helped Christianity stay on a straight path. It's prevented Christianity from veering off into untruth because of the truths presented in that creed. And so in a real sense here at Rock Hills, we believe all truth is in the Bible. So we're not teaching the creed in that sense. What we're doing is we're using the creed as a vehicle to teach the foundational truths of the Bible. Now, if you're here today, and there may be some, who don't believe the assertions in the Apostles' Creed, I just want to encourage you, I believe you're in a safe place. I really do. You see, for 37 years of my life, I was an atheist. And when I went on my spiritual journey for almost a year and a half, I journeyed with some Christians who were very encouraging, who weren't judgmental, who invited me to journey with them and check out the truths of the faith and to see if I believe whether those truths held water. And after a year and a half, I did, and I became a Christian. I put my faith into Jesus. And so we invite you to journey with us, no matter where you are on the faith spectrum. Please go with us on the journey and check out the Apostles' Creed as we teach through it each and every week. Now, we've already done three messages. The first message I taught, the whole message is on two words called, I believe. And all these messages, by the way, are on our website. You can get them on podcast. If you've missed one, feel free to go back and and check it out and catch up. Or each one stands alone, so you don't need to do that. But I, I taught on I believe. And what I said was those two words communicate the centrality of belief to our Christian faith. Every other faith on this earth, every single one, says that you either get right with God or don't get right with God based upon your behavior, based upon your conduct, based upon whether you're good enough. Christianity alone stands in opposition to that. Christianity alone says, no, we can never be good enough. God is infinitely holy. God is infinitely just. We have rebelled against a pure and holy and just God in such a catastrophic way. Our rebellion has caused a separation that no amount of good works or good conduct can ever bridge. And what our faith teaches is the words of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish but have everlasting life. And that we believe that Jesus, God himself, came down and paid the penalty for violating God's infinite justice. Paid that penalty for us. Lived the perfect life. Rose from the dead, defeating death. And we believe that if we put our faith in Jesus, that we are made right with God. And so that is why we spent an entire message on the two words, I believe. And then, of course, two weeks ago, Adam taught on God the Father and a beautiful job of, of trying to capture that idea that he is infinitely powerful but intensely personal. And then last week, Stephen laid out a very compelling case for the fact that Jesus is not just a good teacher, the way some people claim, but he's actually God in the flesh. And now today, the third truth that we are affirming is that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, as I studied for today's message, a lot of, a lot of scholars say that the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the forgotten God. And I think I, I get that a little bit because if you really think about it, we talk a lot. The words are on our lips a lot of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. In fact, when, when we pray, Jesus said, when you pray, here's how you pray, our Father. So mo- many of us, including me, often begin our prayers, Father. And so he's, he's talked about a lot. And the same with Jesus. You know, we, the, church, the Christian tradition is to end prayers with, in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. But no one really ever talks about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's almost like this mysterious entity out there. And, and I think the roles that they play help us to grasp the Father and the Son a little bit better. I mean, we all, we've all had earthly fathers. We get this idea that God in heaven is this loving Father who wants to guide us, occasionally has to discipline us gently and lovingly. And we all get the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh who came down and died for us on the cross. And there's actually four Gospels written about him. He's a human being. We can relate to that. We have a harder time relating to the role of the Holy Spirit. It's more intangible. As you read the Scripture, you find out that the Holy Spirit's role is to counsel us. He's called the counselor. He's called the comforter. He's called the encourager. He's called the power behind us. And when you take all that together, we almost get the feeling, maybe subconsciously, that he's like a lesser God. You know, almost like this is the Olympics, and God the Father, you know, he's he's the gold medalist. And Jesus, the Son, he's the silver medalist, and poor Holy Spirit barely makes a medal stand. He's the bronze medalist. That tends to be how we go about it. And so hopefully today we'll be a little bit more clear about the role of the Holy Spirit and some of his characteristics. And that's my hope today. We're going to have three very simple points, and I think we have those for you today. These are um, three truths about the Holy Spirit. Number one, we believe he lives in us. Number two, we believe the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And number three, we believe the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. Now the first one, he lives in us. This is the consistent testimony throughout the Bible. I could, I could go to dozens and dozens of Scripture that say, if you are a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Let's just take one. It's the words of Jesus. It's uh, found in John 14, and I think we'll have that here. And this is what Jesus said. If you love me, 
Keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. If you put your faith in Jesus, he will be in you. Over and over, the scripture testifies to that. Now, folks, that's worth some reflection today. Maybe at halftime, maybe after the game, but it's worth some reflection today. You, you can't, most of us can't even grasp the size and the enormity of the Milky Way galaxy. There are billions of galaxies out there. God spoke this universe into existence, and that God resides inside of you and inside of me. If you just reflect on that, you would be so encouraged, you would be so strengthened that I think your life would be changed by it. It's worth the time to reflect on that truth, that the God of the universe resides inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit lives within us. The other thing this does, it demolishes the storyline of the Wizard of Oz. We haven't been sent off by some con artist to do an impossible quest. It demolishes our cultural narrative that what we have to do, we're all alone on this journey, maybe with a couple friends, but what we have to do in tough times is to reach into ourselves. What it says is, We have God with us throughout this journey to help us. And I hope that's an amazing encouragement. Now, the second truth is God, the Holy Spirit within us, will guide us into all truth. And again, this comes from the words of Jesus himself in John 16. And Jesus himself says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, let's think about that. Some of you will probably say, well, we have the Bible to guide us, and, and that is the truth. We do, and the Bible is an incredible book with many, many wonderful principles inside. And so what many Christians do is, well, I've studied my Bible, and, and I've heard sermons, and I understand the principles, so now I'm going to go off today, maybe look at the Bible, glance at it in the morning, and go off and live my life, and, and live my life according to the principles of the Bible. Well, let me, let me maybe give you an analogy. 20 years ago, there weren't even cell phones, much less GPSs. When I was young, this is one of those, when I was young, you know how tough I had it. If we wanted to go somewhere, we had to call somebody on a landline. And then we wrote down directions. Can you imagine that? You had to actually write down directions. And I usually had a pretty good memory, so I'd often leave the, the paper and just make my way just remembering the directions. But sometimes the directions were wrong, or sometimes I didn't remember them quite correctly, or the landmark they gave me wasn't real clear. If somebody did that today, I mean... When was the last time somebody called you and asked you for directions to your house? Come on, get with it. Get in the 21st century. We don't do that anymore because we understand it is much more, uh, it's, 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 it's a much better way to go about things to have that GPS with us guiding us step by step. Then why do we leave the Holy Spirit back at the house when we go on our day? That's exactly what we do. You see, the Bible has many wonderful principles, but it doesn't speak to us in our own spirit and guide us every step of the way. So, as an example, there's many principles in the Bible about marriage. 
But there's nothing in the Bible about Al Hassler and Jan Hassler, their individual personalities, and how they are supposed to do marriage based upon their individual personality preferences and ideas. And so that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I got a very clear example of this. Most of you know we had a very difficult marriage and, and a lot of years of hurt and pain. Then I became a Christian. And, and shortly after I became a Christian, within a few weeks, I'm still like, neither of us love each other, Lord. Surely we don't, you don't expect us to stay together for the rest of our lives. There's no love here. And, and I sort of asked sort of a rhetorical question, a sarcastic question. It was like, how is love ever going to come into this thing? And, and there was just a brief moment of silence, and I heard one of the clearest communications I have ever heard. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was in the quietness of my spirit. And it was, Al, why don't you try being nice to Jan? <laughs> and it was like, wait, where did that come from? I mean, seriously, I knew that was not a thought that I would have generated that it had to come from another being. It was the Holy Spirit speaking very personal, personally to me. I knew what the Bible said. I knew that I should be a good and loving husband. I just didn't know how to do it. And so, oh, okay, try being nice to Jan. Well, now another problem came up. For 37 years, I'd been such a selfish, arrogant jerk. I had no idea what that meant to be, actually be nice to her. So I actually had to try to pray and figure out what did, what did that look like. And so I'd be there, Lord, what should I do? You know, how, how should I be nice? And, and then I'd have a thought come to my mind. Oh, yeah, I remember reading about some guy who, like, left little notes around the house for his wife. Oh, maybe that sounds nice. Maybe I'll try that. And, and brought her flowers occasionally or little gifts. And so the Holy Spirit guided me very personally in a very personal way into that truth. Now, we have another problem at least I do sometimes with my GPS. I'll be, you know, going somewhere and I have the GPS on and, you know, all of a sudden some song I like comes on and I start cranking it up and guess what? I don't hear the GPS anymore and I miss a turn. Does anybody ever have that happen to them? Come on, admit it. So I think that's another good analogy for what happens to Americans because I think we have a problem listening to the Holy Spirit. There is so much noise in our lives the television, music, the internet, even reading the internet, reading books. We're constantly barraging our brain with stimulation. We are never quiet. We never stay quiet long enough to hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So here's a very, very practical takeaway. Listen, folks, and I really mean this. I challenge you to do this. This could be the most important thing you've tried in a long time. Take 10 minutes a day and sit quietly, alone with your thoughts. No internet, no music, no books, not even the Bible. I want you to read the Bible in the morning. I want you to do this in the afternoon or in the evening. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to listen to God. You see, that verse promises in John 16 that the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. But the Holy Spirit comes as a still, quiet voice. In order to hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we have to turn down the music, turn down the volume, and that will help us be guided. And when you do that, everything changes. Now, when I first tried doing this, I'd sit there and I'd pray for a moment and say, okay, Lord, let me hear from you. And it was like, I'm not hearing anything. 
And somewhere along the line, Jan, who is so good at this, said, well, there's a thing called active listening. Why don't you try asking a question of God, of the Holy Spirit, and see if that prompts some thoughts? So I sat there with my piece of paper and my pants like, okay, uh, is there some way I can be a better husband? All of a sudden, like, Oh, okay, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, okay. It's like, all right, enough. I mean, all of a sudden, seriously, I was flooded with thoughts about, well, you know, be a little more gracious. Why don't be gentle in these situations? I got several different thoughts as I asked a specific question. Same way with, with you know, procedures and, and difficulties at work. Occasionally, uh, there will be a situation at work, and, and I'm not sure how to go about dealing with it. And I'll sit quietly in my office, and I'll ask, God, okay, Lord, what's the best way to approach this? And I'll hear from God. And so I really want to encourage you, take the challenge, 10 minutes a day, silently, alone with your thoughts, a pad and paper, and do some active listening. Now, one of the things we're going to do this, this message this, today is we're going to try to take the Internet, which could be used for good or bad, and start using it for good. So one of the things I want to suggest, if you're like me and don't understand this active listening, I want you to go to Rock Hills, the Rock Hills web page, the Facebook page, and like Rock Hills. Because every week, my wife Jan does a wonderful short summary of the message. But not only that, she inserts questions that you can ask that help you apply very personally the message to your life. And so why not do that? Why not incorporate this into your 10 minutes of quiet every, each and every day? And I'm hoping, by the way, that at the end of a week, you'll see how this benefits you enough that you will start doing it on a more regular basis. And so I really challenge you again to go to the Facebook page of Rock Hills. Look for 10 minutes with God is what Jan calls it. If you like the Facebook page, that will start showing up on your feed. And then you will have questions there to ask yourself. A very, very practical way to start listening to the Holy Spirit. Look, folks, this, you know, there's not a lot of razzmatazz here. This is going to take a little effort on your part. You're not just going to go out of here with a thought and have be changed. Take 10 minutes a day for the next week. Now, the, the third and final principle I want to talk about for the Holy Spirit is simply this, that he helps us in our weakness. And we're actually not going to go to, to Romans 8.26. There's, there's another scripture I, I think fits better with what I'm going to try to communicate. And it's 2 Corinthians 12.9, all right? And, and, the, and the background for this is it's written by the Apostle Paul. Now, you have to understand, the Apostle Paul is one of the most accomplished men in the history of the world. He made his way to the very top of the Jewish religious establishment. There are brilliant men in Israel who are all trying to climb to the top, and, and Paul made it to the very top. After he became a Christian, he planted churches all over the world. This guy could do it all. He could do almost anything, he could accomplish almost anything by his discipline and, and by his abilities. And yet, here's what he said. Let's read it. Oh, and, and so the background is, he's trying to do things by his abilities. God, in his sovereign mercy, allows some difficulty to come in. And then Paul doesn't feel so strong anymore. But in his weakness, he realizes something. You see, Jesus said, you can do nothing on your own, that if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. 
And so if you're not staying in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can accomplish nothing. And Paul realized that through this trial. And he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so here's the image. The idea is so many Americans have a difficulty in front of them. And this really categorizes me. Maybe I'm feeling weak about something. Maybe, maybe someone's insulting you and, and saying unfair things about you at work or someplace else. Maybe there's a hardship. Maybe a persecution. Maybe a difficulty. And wh- what do we do about that? And, and I don't know about you, but here are my tendencies. One tendency is, you know what? I can do this. I can handle this. Lord, just wait here. Let me take care of this one. And I go out, and I bust it for you know, a few days or a week or two, and, and then I just exhaust myself, and I crater. That's one way that, that I deal with it. Another way is I just kind of whimper. I sort of curl up and, on my sofa, and, and I just feel weak and helpless, and I throw a pity party. And, and in both those situations, what I tend to do is after I feel defeated, is I, t- I tend to numb myself, whether it's, you know, binging on sugar or having a couple glasses of wine or, you know, spending too much time on the Internet or uh, other ways that I'm even too embarrassed to mention. But when I hit a difficulty, those are my two tendencies. Try to do it myself and then crater or just give up. And what Paul is saying here is you have to find that middle ground. You have to understand that we are weak. We are weak, frail creatures. But we have the power of the God of the universe living within us. And that is a good thing when we feel weak, because then we stop trying to do it ourselves. But what you can't do, folks, is you can't quit. You can't give up. Paul over and over says, I worked harder than anybody else. But not me, but the grace of God in me. That's 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's a tension here. We have to at least struggle and, and, and get enough energy to put one step in front of the other. Maybe, maybe enough energy to throw our arm around the neck of the Holy Spirit is one way to look at it. And, and I can tell you we're going we're gonna to use Facebook again and, and Internet again because there's a person in here who I think captures this balance as well as any Christian I know. And her name happens to be Christian, Christian Dominguez. If you've not made, been friends on, on Facebook with Christian, then I really encourage you to go put in a friend request because over and over, her Facebook feed has the balance between these two truths. Over and over, she'll have memes and, and, and encouraging sayings along the lines of, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. Don't quit. You can do it. Don't give up. But over and over, regularly, that's balanced with the other truth I've been talking about. The other truth that you don't have to do it. You're not alone in your weakness. God will help you. And so memes like God will uphold you with his righteous right hand and, and be strong and courageous for God is with you wherever you go. And so she's captured this balance that we all need. So another very practical assignment, if you're on Facebook and you spend time there, and by the way, I got her permission to, to say this, go put in a friend request 
and I, I promise you, you will be encouraged and inspired by her feed. And this is, this is such a difficult balance to achieve. As I've prayed over and, and prepared this message, I, it's like, what, what image can I communicate that somehow helps people grasp that we can't do it on our own? That, that sometimes we're going to break down. Sometimes we're going to feel weak and hopeless. But we still have to put one foot in front of the other. We, we still have to take that step. We have to have enough strength to throw our arm around the Holy Spirit. And then he will do it. And, and as I was praying through that, an image came to me from the Olympics. It wasn't this past Olympics. It was actually from the Olympics 24 years ago. It was in Barcelona in 1992. And there was a runner from England. His name was Derek Redmond. He was the favorite to win the 400-meter gold medal. He was the, the, the record holder in England. He had trained all his life for this moment, and, and he had grown up in England. His father was actually his coach, and his father had passed on the tradition of British runners. In England, British runners are taught from a very young age, you never quit, you never give up. This is part of the ethic of running for England. No matter how far behind you are, no matter how hopeless, don't give up. And so Derek Redmond comes to Barcelona, training all his life. I can't imagine the pressure, the, the, you know, the hopes and dreams that are pinned on just about 40 seconds in the 400 meters. And he and his dad are there with all these hopes and dreams. And let's see what happens next.
I'm weak, then I'm strong. I hope that image stays with you. I hope you know that even in your weakness, you can throw your arms around the, the neck of the Holy Spirit, and he will help you finish the race. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are not alone on this journey. That, that there is victory. Ultimately, we're going to have victory. That we can, we can praise your name. That, that we know that no matter how it seems down here, that you, the Holy Spirit, will help us finish the race. Give us strength and encouragement as we reflect on this truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name.